Buenos dias. So great to be here with you. I just love this chapel here. Lord spoke to me many times. And I just want to share a little bit of background so you know who are those people up there that's coming to talk to us today. So I was an exchange student in Bangladesh, and I had a call to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and I wanted to try out the extreme, most extreme place. Came back to North Central to prepare for missions, and, and I wanted to be an, an, a teacher so I could go anywhere and have a degree to, to go into any place. And, and I, as a freshman, I was in the cafeteria, and there's this tall, handsome missionary kid, and he was having an... Uh, uh, a, a theme night, a Mexican theme night, chili eating contest in the cafeteria, and I thought, I think I was wearing like my Bengali clothes, and my hands were still dyed with henna and everything, and I looked very hippie. And um, I was, I ate twelve raw Thai chilies, and he never noticed me. Two other people won eating twenty-two chilies, so. Fine, I'm going to be a single missionary. I have my education degree. I'm going to be a single missionary. Fine, you, I don't need you. Well, a couple years later, he was uh, church planning in Chicago, and he was a bachelor and desperate. And so, <laughs> so we met, and he saw me, and uh, sparks flew. And so he, uh, we started talking, you know, and sending letters, and he, he surprised me on Valentine's Day. He, I got a call, and it said, uh, someone said, come downstairs on this stairwell. And I came down, and he had driven up from Chicago, and he was in the stairwell, and ah! <laughs> So we got married, served on a church in Summit, uh, Summit Church for six years, and every time it was like, Lord, where are you going to send us? We want to go to the ends of the earth. And we were visiting his parents in Mexico, and John got to preach in Spanish for the first time in a long time, and God spoke to him, I need you in Latin America. Why are you in Minnesota? I need you here. And at the same time, you know, I'm, wa I'm wanting to go to the ends of the earth, and God spoke to me, I need you here in Latin America. And we got on the plane, and we're like, what just happened? And I said, I, what about my six-month-old baby bringing him to the, the Latin America? They have all sorts of diseases and stuff. And, and the magazine in front of me in the airplane, I pulled it out, and it said, kid-friendly Costa Rica. And it was like God saying, you know what? You're going to have a great time. So we went to the Unreached People group of pastor's kids in Latin America. And that's the first assignment the National Church had been praying for a missionary who spoke Spanish, who was married, and had experience working with ministers' kids to come and help reach their a lost generation of pastors' kids. More were in Teen Challenge and not serving Jesus than in the church, and no one wanted to be a pastor because they had lived in a life of poverty. So that was our first task. Now, some of our first pastor's kids we worked through are, are leading some of the largest churches in Costa Rica. God knows what he's doing when he calls us. Our job is to be obedient and listen to his voice. And he will, he will help us change the world. It's not us, it's him. Thank you. Oh, and so I wanted to show a picture of our family. 
These are our wonderful kids who have been really a, a very huge part of our ministry, Jonathan, Joshua, and Julia, and um, they love Costa Rica. They've had a great life growing up on the mission field, and they love Jesus. So thank you. God bless you. <laughs> Everyone always likes her better than me. So it's great for her to start. So um, raising our kids on the mission field, we just wanted them to know and love Jesus. And uh, so Jonathan, our oldest on the left, is working with World Vision now with their water and sanitation division, helping with the water and, and uh, these projects, drilling wells and all that kind of thing, in the worst and most complicated places of the world. So he has a master's in humanitarian disaster intervention. And uh, his fiance works with an international refugee organization. She's an MK from, from Eastern Europe. And so her mom is Croatian. We have a Croatian wedding coming up this summer. So uh, that'll be interesting. And our second son, Joshua, is a math kid. So he graduated in math, and he's a data analytics guy. And our daughter, Julia, is a sophomore at Wheaton College in Chicago and is doing an urban studies internship uh, in inner city in Woodlawn on the south side of Chicago this semester right now as we speak. And so um, we're so grateful for God and his hand on our family. I want to tell you four quick stories and then a meditation from a passage that for me has been essential in what we do in Latin America. So first, first picture, uh, I want to show you some friends of ours. These young people are from an, an indigenous tribe, tribe called the Cabecar. Everyone say Cabecar. Cabecar. So in Costa Rica, the majority of Costa Ricans are regular white Latinos, they call themselves. But, but uh, there's these groups of, of uh, indigenous people that are terribly underserved. They're the poorest people in the country. Um, and, and so a friend of ours built a cabin because he had a whitewater rafting business on a river that went through their reservation. And his mom is a home missionary. She loves Jesus. And so she went with her son to help you know, put together this camp. And she met the chief, the grandmother of these young people. And the chief, um, when she was talking with our friend Gerardina, Gerardina says, have you ever heard about Jesus? Never. Costa Rica has 400 years of Catholic history, and no one ever had been to that region of the country, even to share in that context. And so she's like, what's Jesus? What's Bible? What's God? I mean, we don't know any of that stuff. And so... And so the chief opened up her village, and Gerardina, our home missionary friend, started at age 58 to walk, hike four hours from where the taxi could leave her off at the, at the closest point on the dirt road, over two mountains and through the, the rainforest and across five rivers to get to the first village where the grandma of these young people said, I want you to come. And one of the things she said is, this gospel that you're talking about is good for me, it's good for my adult children, but it will change the lives of my grandchildren. And so Jennifer heard about Gerardina hiking through these jungles by herself. And we heard that there were people that were against her and that were going to go after her and try to do her harm. And so Jennifer's like, I'll walk with her. I'm not afraid. So Jennifer's made of tough stuff. And so so I'm like, okay, I'll watch the kids for the weekend. You, you go and hike in the jungle with Gerardina. She liked to do that. So, and Jennifer would sit down on the floor of the, of the thatched roof huts and talk to these kids when they were four and five and six years old. 
And, and uh, nine years later, they know Jesus. They love Jesus. And this last weekend, they got to participate in a youth camp where one of the Costa Rican churches that's near there, it's a great church, has taken them on as, as a project, the youth from this area and their youth from Costa Rica. So they're doing mission trips out there. They did a youth camp, and the, the home missionary said, you would not believe these kids were crying and responding to Jesus and talking with the kids and praying at the altars. It takes a long time to break the worldview of the witch doctor and manipulating the spirits and spells and, and curses and living in fear, walking through the jungle, thinking that the spirit of the snake gods is going to come after me, right? It takes a long time to break a worldview that's pagan. And these kids are growing up with a worldview where they say we don't have to walk in fear. We don't have to be afraid of the spirits. Uh, one of their grandmothers, well, a cousin of the other grandma, um, was bitten by a fur de lance viper in May of last year when she was walking around. Instead of calling the witch doctor, the, you have two hours when you're bitten by a fur de lance viper. A terciopelo, we call them in Spanish. Um, you have two hours. And she says, there's no way I can make it to the city in time. I'm too far away. And so she called up the home missionary lady, Gerardina, and said, please get everyone praying. And we all mobilized our prayer network, and the Lord healed her. What, what does it take for the gospel to penetrate and change a community, change a culture? The, the uncles and aunts of these kids were fighting each other. They hated each other. Because when they have their chicha parties, when they brew their homemade corn alcohol, they fight, and there's sexual abuse. And there's almost 90% sexual abuse of the girls in these communities. And one of the girls had been abused by an uncle and she had a baby and her mother hated her brother and cursed him with the witch doctor. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that was normal for them. And now they're all getting together and the Lord has brought forgiveness and grace and healing. Some people say that, that uh, missionaries go and wreck native cultures. One day we were talking with, with one of the families and they said, you know, you gave us these little devices that are called proclaimers, and, and it has the Bible in our language, the New Testament in our language, the solar-powered things, and we listen to it every day at lunchtime. And I started telling them the story of the prodigal son, and they finished the story. They learned it. And they said, you know what? Those devices with the Bible in our language have actually helped us to save our language. Because we don't speak as much Kabekar as our mom and grandparents do, but, but listening to the Bible in our language. Because a missionary came to Costa Rica 50 years ago and, and wrote down the Kabekar language and made the first dictionary and, and translated the New Testament into Kabekar, and, and now it's on audio, and it's preserving their language. And they say the missionaries have helped save our culture. We can, we can help to counteract the bad stuff, the manipulation of the witch doctor that lives up the mountain that charges exorbitant amounts of money to curse people. How is that helping, right? And so, and so they're preserving the best of their culture and finding the gospel penetrating and changing their lives. This is what it's about. And so when we talk about 450 unreached people groups in Latin America, a lot of them in the Amazon basin, a lot of them in Mexico. When we talk about 2,200 unreached people groups in India, just India, 
that don't have any access to the gospel. There's no established church. This is what we're talking about. People that are wrapped up in superstition and manipulation of spirits and paganism, and they're lost. And when the grace of Jesus and the power of the gospel and the presence of the Lord and the Holy Spirit comes in, it changes everything. This is what missions is. Missions exist to bring the church and the people of God to the places where it does not exist yet. This is what we're called to do. Next picture. We realized early on in our ministry in Costa Rica that no matter how we worked with adults, most people that come to Jesus do so before the age of 13. That means that children's ministry is one of the most important things we can do. And so Jennifer, being an educator, she's like, how can we train people to work better with kids? And most of our churches didn't have any curriculum or any way to, like, organize a way to train their children's pastors. And so Jennifer started going out on weekends and, and doing these children's ministry trainings. And I'm now the director of the Bible school, the seminary in San Jose. So I get to, I get to organize these things, and I can do it. I got this nice big auditorium that we've worked hard to develop, right? And so... So we said, let's organize a national children's ministry training thing on a regular basis. So we found an ally in a, in a, a friend, a pastor, a children's pastor from South Carolina, Frank Trezogalu, and BGMC. The kids helped us raise money for this. And our last event in April, we had 220 children's pastors from around the country. We're able to give them two years' worth of curriculum to work with kids in their hand and a flash drive with five years total of the curriculum on there. And there we are, we get to pour into the next generation. What happens if every one of the churches represented in that room goes back and lights on fire their children's ministry? What happens? Kids, like the little kids that we were working with from the indigenous, all over the country being raised up with a Christian worldview, learning to trust Jesus and love Jesus and walk with Jesus, it changes the destiny of a country, right? Okay, next picture. So I was teaching Bible school class in the fall of 2019, and uh, it was a book of Acts class. And so I was saying, the Holy Spirit descended on the early church, and they all went out and were preaching the gospel and planting churches. And I said, what about you guys? And one of the guys raised his hand and says, do you know what we're doing? I'm like, no, no, fill me in. He says, um, actually, we have, we have a Bible study that got too big for where it was. So it turns out that Pablo, the guy in the red shirt in the middle, has a vintage clothing business. So he goes through the big containers of old cast-off American clothing, and he finds the pieces he likes and recuts them and makes a more modern cut and tie-dyes them and puts patches on them and sells them in the hippie fairs. And I wasn't even aware of kind of how big the hippie culture was in Costa Rica, but you know what? Something really interesting has happened in Latin America in the last 15 or 20 years. There were a lot of nominal Christians people that were sort of culturally Catholic, that in the last 15 years, that has dissolved. Um, and the same thing has happened in the U.S. People that were nominally religious no longer claim any religion. So 20 years ago, if you were to ask Costa Ricans, how many of you are, would consider yourself atheist, agnostic, secular, completely without any religious affiliation? It would have been virtually zero. Now, there was, an, there, was a, there was a study done last year. 27% of Costa Ricans identify as secular. Do you know what, the, what kind of change that is in 15 years? 
That's a massive change. That means there's rapidly growing secularism in all of our countries. Larry Gritzmacher, where are you, Larry? Raise your hand. Larry is in Mexico City, 30 million people. The vast majority completely secular. No religious affiliation whatsoever. Massive, massive needs. Rio de Janeiro, Sao Paulo, 23, 25 million people. The great majority completely secular. Josh Renfro is speaking tomorrow. Raise your hand, Josh. He's in Chile, one of the most secular countries in Latin America. Uh, well over half of the population would identify as secular, right? And, and we need to reach these people. Oh, Julie Boone is there too in Chile. And, and so when we are missionaries, working with university students, university students are part of a generation. Gen Z and millennials are the most secular generations Latin America has ever had in its history. And so when we talk about university ministry, Josh is going to talk about that tomorrow. That's his field. Huge, vast, secular sections of society. And so Pablo and his buddy Carlos said, we started this Bible study in the back of the vintage clothing shop on the university campus. It got too big, so we rented a house. That's gotten too small now. The house has gotten too small. Why don't you come check out what we're doing? We went. And these are people, I mean, this is all artsy millennials. They're all artists, working artists in one way or another. And they love Jesus. And the music was amazing because there's several professional musicians, right? And, and, and they were inviting their friends. And one of the guys had brought 70 people, just himself, one guy. And they were bursting at the seams. And, and we're like, what is going on here? And, and our daughter said, I don't know where you guys are going to go to church, but I'm going here. So we jumped in with them. And, and uh, after a few months of COVID shutdown, we were able to move in to the auditorium that you see behind. And now it's a thriving, beautiful, big church. And they're going after this secular millennial generation that doesn't have any church affiliation and no knowledge of God. And people are coming to Jesus every week. And it's amazing. This is what we talk about when we talk about church planting in Latin America. We're talking about these huge cities, these huge needs where there is no Jesus. What are mission, missionaries for? What's missions for? To plant the church where it doesn't exist. And so that's what we're, that's what we're doing. Okay, last picture. The, our national leadership in Latin America is continually asking for more missionaries. Now, I, when, when I graduated from North Central, I was a biblical studies guy, Greek and Hebrew geek, did a master's at Bethel Seminary. Again, Greek and Hebrew, biblical studies, theology. Um, and so... Our prayer, when I met Jennifer, she had lived with a Muslim family in Bangladesh for a year as an exchange student. I did all of my papers and all of my projects on Islam in my master's because I thought, if that's the neediest place in the world, why wouldn't Jesus send us there? I had a big, thick file on India. I had a thick file on the Muslim world. I had a thick file on China. And I was praying, which one of the three is God going to send us to? Right? Like We were just sure that because that's where the need is. And and, and we kept taking mission trips and leading mission trips and being involved in missions. And the Lord just kept on not releasing us. Because we still believe that God leads people and God calls people. And God takes us where we need to go. Can I move this? So I want to I leave one biblical thought with you. And if we can put up the verse. 2 Timothy 2.2 The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. 
Picture this. In one verse, there's four generations of the people of God. Paul saying to his buddy Timothy, who he spent years mentoring. He's had him on his trips. He's written letters to him as a young pastor. He's invested his heart. They know each other deeply. He says, by the way, that stomach bug you keep having, take something for that. And he has to tell them, hey, by the way, um, when, you're, when you're relating with older men in the church, you know, they're not trying to boss you around. Treat them with gentleness as if they were your father. And the older ladies that tried to get you matchmaked, you know, with other girls, just be patient and treat them as if they were your mother. And the younger women in the church, with all purity, with a pure heart, as if they were your sisters. And the young men aren't your competition. They're your brothers. Work with them. He said things like, I know the faith that your grandma had and your mama had. That sincere, genuine faith, and I see it in you too. But fan into flame the gift of God that's in you. Because God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. You can do this, Timothy. He knew Timothy wasn't aggressive and pushy by nature. He knew that he would sometimes get scared and sometimes be afraid. He says, God has not given you a spirit of cowardice. And then he says, all of this love and all of this formation and all of this investment that I put in you, it's your turn to put into somebody else. Reliable people, and it's anthropo, it's not men, it's, it's people, that will be able to train others. I want to tell you about one of the little chain things that happened in Costa Rica. In our very first years in Costa Rica, one of the pastor's kids was so angry at God so frustrated, really smart kid. He was studying electrical engineering at the university, but started having a, 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 a hemorrhaging colon, bleeding, like nasty. And, and his mom called us over to the house one night. He's got a colonoscopy tomorrow. He's so nervous. We don't know what's going on. So we went over to their house and we prayed for him. Lord, not only do the work in his colon, but do the work in his heart. Call him. Help him to be what you've made him to be. That night, Felipe was healed. And, and he got a hold of the calling. And back at his home church, which was in a slum area, he decided to step forward and make that thing hum. And so he took over the youth group. So this is Felipe now. And in his youth group, there was a little junior high girl named Kaylee. And Kaylee watched as her youth leader caught on fire. And she became one of his youth staff. And she went through their school of youth ministry in the local church. And she's like, man, God is calling me to serve him. And Kaylee did a missions internship. And then Kaylee came back from the internship and says, God is calling me to go to Indonesia. We had a Costa Rican couple working in Indonesia. And so she went as a missionary associate to Indonesia. So this is the third, this is the third place, right? Reliable people. And Kaylee then met a guy from Brazil that was a missionary there, and now they're Costa Rican fully supported missionaries, training workers, translating the Bible in, in Indonesia, the country with the largest Muslim population in the world, and they sent me this shirt. Because we had gotten behind them and we encouraged them. And so in Indonesia, I don't know how they found a shirt that fit me. I'm really big. I got giraffe arms. But they found a shirt. They sent it to me saying, thank you for investing in us. My investment was mostly in her youth leader. But you know what? The chain of grace, the chain of God's people matters. 
And so when God calls me and Jennifer to Latin America to help restore pastor's kids that are angry, to teach in the seminary, to plant churches, that reverberates and touches the world. And so the, we understand and we pray every day for China and for India and for Central Europe and for all the places that are hard and where there's no gospel. Lord, help us all be a part of what you're doing to get the gospel to those places. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. And uh, every one of you has had somebody invest in you. At North Central, I was a teaching assistant for Debbie Gill in the Greek department. And Debbie poured into my heart. And the dean of men, Gary Wildman, poured into my heart. And have, both of them have impacted who I am today. And then I get to pour in to some young people in Costa Rica. And then the chain goes on. Would you pray with me? Father, we give ourselves to you. Lord, every one of us right now maybe is receiving more than we're giving because this is our, our time, like Timothy, to be shaped by who you are. And the people around us and the calling... We're just starting to understand the calling and the gifting and, and what we're supposed to be doing. But Lord, I think ahead to the people that, that the young people in here are going to be touching in your name. The next ones, the reliable people that then will be teaching others and the chain of your people will grow and grow and grow because we believe in you, because we respond to you, because your grace is sufficient for us. So, Lord, I pray that you would do this work in each one. Right now, we give ourselves to you. Raise your hands. Let's just, let's just give ourselves to the Lord. Father, everything I am, Lord, everything that lies ahead, whether I'm in business, whether I'm in education, whether I'm in communications, whatever it is that you put into my hand to use will be a tool to serve you and to love others in Jesus' name. And, Lord, even for those that aren't going to be working uh, full-time in a, in a church setting, we are full-time servants of yours, and our lives exist to raise up the next generation and to keep on the chain of grace. And we pray that you would allow each of us to be instruments in your hand. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you.